Welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of Sunday, November 12th, and is preached by our pastor, Brother Mike Silvey. Our desire is that this message builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with Christ. Here now is Brother Mike preaching from Deuteronomy 5.21, a message titled, The Ten Commandments, An Invitation to Sufficiency. Thank you, Brother Dalton. That was great. We look forward to more tonight. Six o'clock, hope you can be there. Well, as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21, we come to the Tenth Commandment, the last in our series on the Ten Commandments. As we have done this series, I pray that two things have been very clear to you. Number one, that God's way is best. We've called these invitations because these are God's invitations to come and live life like He lives it. These Ten Commandments represent how God thinks what God believes is, is true and important and precious. And, and these are the things that he's committed to and he's inviting us to come to these things and live life this way. The second thing that I hope that's been very clear to you during this series is not only that God's uh, ways or God's commandments are best, but that God's commandments are impossible. They're impossible for us to live apart from his grace. The commandments draw us to Christ. It, draw, it draws us to a relationship with God through Christ's obedience and His righteousness, not our own. We've taken account of every one of these commandments and we've seen, and we're going to see again today, that we break every one of these and we break every one of these over and over again in our life. Our salvation is not based upon our righteousness. Either before you come to Christ or after, at any time, it's all based upon Him and Him alone. But having come to Him, He gives us a new heart and allows us to live life His way. And being promised salvation for all of eternity, He now invites us to come and to enjoy His blessings together with Him, to live life His way, to know His integrity and His faithfulness and his honesty, and all these, these standards that we find represented here in these commandments. We come to the tenth, and it is an invitation to his sufficiency, to his way of being satisfied. He is our satisfaction. The Bible says that we are complete in him. Colossians 2.10, and we can only find satisfaction in him. If we seek it apart from him and things of the world or things that we can achieve for ourselves, we will be dissatisfied. And that's why he says here in this commandment, verse 21, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. A story is told that the natives in North Africa have a very unique way of catching monkeys. What they do is they, 
they hollow out a gourd and they make sure that the hole at the top is just barely wide enough so a monkey's hand can fit into it. Then they fasten that gourd firmly to a tree and then they put nuts inside the gourd. And at nighttime, when the monkeys are doing their monkey business, they, they smell the scent of food and they go and find the smell coming from this gourd and they reach in their hand. They can slip their hand in, barely, but then when they grab a handful of the nuts and they clench their fists, then they're caught. They can't get it back out. And instead of letting go and gaining their freedom, they hang on. And the story is told that they catch many monkeys this way in North Africa. As they come early that morning, they, they could trap them very easily. But they were trapped by wanting to grab something and hold on to something that they shouldn't. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Thou shalt not covet means we should not desire and try to hold on and have things that are not ours. They're not things that God's given us. That God gives us a lot of things, and God's not a, opposed to things. Our sufficiency is found in Him alone, and for all of eternity, that's where our no, never-ending sufficiency will be found. But then God is a God of blessing to over and beyond. He gives us all these other things in addition to that. And we're so weak, and we're so needy, that we need those other things. He gives us people, and He gives us relationships, and He gives us material possessions. He gives us blessings to use and to enjoy, to serve him with. But we must not covet. We must not go after those things that he does not give us. Now the story I told you about the monkeys is not to say that we act like monkeys when we covet. The point of the story is the monkeys are acting like us <laughs> when uh, they're doing that because we covet. We desire things that are not our own. And this, this commandment we break over and over again that Christ who, who never sinned, he is our righteousness and he covers us. So as we, as we look at this commandment, let's think today about the dissatisfaction of a covetous life. And I want to ask several questions and answer them from the text as, as we do that. Number one, what do we covet? Well, this verse shows us. It says, number one, we covet and can covet everything that our neighbor has. Look at it again. You should not covet your neighbor's wife, nor desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. We have a tendency to look and see what other people have, and just because they have it and we don't, we think we need it. And we look at their life and we think, you know, it seems to be so nice for them. And we have this desire to want to have what they have. We can even covet, it says, anything that's out there that we see. You take a stick, just a plain stick you find, there's no value in that. There's no great uh, price that we'd attach to that. But you take that stick and you turn it like this and you stain it and you polish it and you put a barrel on the end 
We gotta have it, don't we? You see, there's there's just about anything out there that we'll covet. You take that stick, you put it inside of an automobile, attach it to gears, and moving that stick makes it go real fast, and we say, oh, we gotta have it. You put that stick on the clearance aisle at the store, 75% off. Oh, we gotta have it. We can covet anything that's out there. And the scripture shows us this. This is what we are susceptible to do. We, when, when we fell into sin, we, we began to have a desire for things that are not our own. And we can look out there in the world and anything that we see, everything and anything, we can at times go after. And when we do, we commit the sin of coveting. One day Abraham Lincoln was walking down the street with two small boys at his side, and both of them were crying loudly. And a passerby said, what's the matter, Abe? What's all the fuss? Lincoln responded, the trouble with these lads is what's wrong with the whole world. One of them has a nut, and the other one wants it. And that's our problem. The whole world sees things that they want. And we see everything else out in the world, and we want it. We begin living according to that desire. A second question is, how do we covet? I mean, what's going on when we fall into this sin? Well, there are two action words in verse 21, desire and covet. The word desire means to strongly desire something else. And the action word covet actually comes from two original words, and it means uh, the two words are to have and more. So to covet means you desire, with great desire, to have more. And there are at least three different ways that we do this. Number one, we covet sometimes what we don't have. Just because we see someone else having it, we're driven to, to go after it. Because after all, it seems to be working for them. We see that and we make our life better. And just because we don't have it, we think we need that. And it make my life better. There's a man who was in an automobile accident. It was a serious accident. He totaled his vehicle. And he was laying on the side of the road when the policeman pulled up on it. And the policeman came up to him and saw the scene there. And he said the, the man was just crying loudly, oh, my BMW, oh, my BMW. And the policeman said, sir, I'm so sorry about the loss of your car, but I think there's something more serious going on here. For you see, you're, you're bleeding, and you've actually lost your left arm. And with that, the man looked down, and he goes, oh, my Rolex, oh, my Rolex. <laughs> you see, we can get tied to things in our lives. We can let our life get all wrapped up with what we own and, and what we wear and all the things out there in the world we like to achieve and we work so hard together. And again, God's not against things. He made the world and everything that's in it. But yet he does not want us in going after things to have things own us. There's a difference between owning things and things owning us. And this guy was all wrapped up in this things that owned him. So sometimes we covet because we, we covet things that we don't have. Sometimes we covet because we covet more of what we already 
have. Someone said it this way. He says, we live in a great country. We can have a second house, a second car, a second TV. All you need is a second job, a second mortgage, and a second wind, and you can have all these things. We live in a time in which we can have everything we want and more if we just go after it. I mean, you don't even have to pay for it up front. You can just put it on the card, worry about it later. And today as a society, we are, I think I saw on the news just the other day, 1.4 or 5 trillion, with a T, trillion dollars in consumer debt. The first time in history there are, there are trillions of dollars on credit cards collectively in our society. Why? Because we're trying to go after more than what we have. And again, well, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. We've got to keep it all in a balance. We've got to ask ourselves, are we going after this stuff because God wants us to have it, or are we going after this stuff because we want to have it? It's my desire. It's not God's desire. When it's my desire, then we fall into the sin of coveting. Sometimes we covet because we, we go after things we shouldn't have. And there are four examples of scripture in Scripture about this, and this is the most sinister of, of this version of sin. This is really where the, the enemy is trying to get us to go um, because this is where sin started in humanity. Eve's sin in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, has started with a desire. The Bible says she desired that fruit that God had said was off limits. He said, you can eat of any tree of the garden. You got all this stuff out here. But he says, this one tree, you shall not eat the fruit of it. Because when you eat the fruit of it, you shall surely die. It was a forbidden fruit. But Eve looked at it. She saw that it was good. And she listened to the enemy tempting her. And Satan said, it'll make you, your life better than you've ever imagined. You'll be like God. And the Bible says she acted on that desire. She reached out and she took the fruit. What did she do? She coveted. She coveted the lie or the, the life that she was lying about. She thought she could have more through this. And really it was something she shouldn't have had. This is, this is how the whole human race was plunged into sin. Then Achan's sin in Joshua 7, 21. God here was leading the Israel into the promised land, and God said, I'm going to give the land to you, and everything in the land is going to be yours, but the things of the possessions of the people of the land and their idols and their idolatry, you'd have nothing to do with. And so they were given the command as they marched on Jericho to not take any of the possessions of the people that the gold and silver were dedicated to the Lord, but everything else was to be destroyed. But Achan went in, and the Bible says he saw a Babylonian garment, and he saw 200 shekels of silver, and he saw a wedge of gold, and he said, I've got to have that. And he snuck it into his tent, and he hid it. But he didn't hide it from God. God knew. And as a result, God removed his blessing from the, the nation. And when they went into battle next, they suffered defeat, and people's lives were lost. And God said, there's sin in the camp, and you need to confess it. And finally, through a process, Achan came forward, 
In his very own words, in, in Joshua 7.21, he said, I saw these things and I coveted them. And because of that sin, he brought great disgrace and pain to a whole nation. The Apostle Paul had trouble with this sin. In Romans chapter 7, verse 7, uh, he confessed there as he talked about uh, coveting. And he talked about the commandments. He said that, um, that through this sin, this produced in me all manner of evil desire, Romans 7, 7. So the Apostle Paul wasn't perfect. You know, we put him on a pedestal, and he probably was the, the greatest Christian uh, that's ever lived um, other than Christ. But he struggled with sin. And Paul said, this is one of my weaknesses, coveting. And early in his life, when he was a Pharisee, he could have everything that he wanted, and he probably did. But when Christ met him, he changed him. And he said that, that he died when he met Christ, that old person. But he said, that old person is still with me, and I still struggle with him all the time. And, and so this sin is something that can bring down and affect the, the greatest church and the greatest Christian. This is Satan's sin as well. Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14 shows us that uh, this actually is the sin that caused Satan to try to take over heaven. Isaiah 14 is a prophecy about uh, Satan, and it says, it talks about Lucifer's fall there. And there, Lucifer, the angel Lucifer that God created, which was evidently one of the greatest angels that God created, that he just had pride well up within him because of all his greatness. Satan was not created a perfect being. He was not a duplicate of God. God cannot duplicate himself. You cannot duplicate or double infinity. It's impossible. And so Satan had the possibility to sin, and we don't know why, and we don't know exactly when it happened, but at some time before the fall of man, Satan began to have a proud heart, and he looked out on everything, and the next thing he did was he desired to have it all. He coveted. And he said, I will ascend above the, the Most High. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And he wanted to have everything that God had. And he even wanted to have his throne. Things he should not have. And so this is where Satan is trying to get us to go, is to, to reach out across the line to the forbidden fruit and to desire and to try to have something that God has not given us. But we do this all the time. This is why we cannot be righteous in our own, our own strength. This is why we must trust Christ in Christ alone because Christ never once coveted anything. And you think about it, it's amazing. The Bible says that, that Christ was without sin, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That is, our sin was laid on him. But before that, he knew no sin whatsoever. And yet, for all of time, all of eternity, in which he saw everything, he never stepped out of bounds one time. He never had a sinful thought. He never had a covetous thought. 
Even when the devil took him up on that high mountain during his temptation, the Bible says that the devil showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, if you'll just bow down before me, I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world. Now that was a temptation because what Satan was offering was a shortcut to bypass the cross. But, but the Lord was not tempted by that. The Lord said, get behind me, Satan. You shall worship the Lord and only him shall you serve. And so yet seeing everything that's out there, Christ never, ever had one bad thought, never, no, never a stray thought. He never coveted anything. He's our perfect righteousness. He is the one that we trust. And as we trust him, all of our coveting is forgiven and it's covered. And then our heart and our life is made new. And now we can live our life in his presence through his power following his righteousness. So this is how we covet. And as we do that, God has a way that we can be delivered. So let's talk finally. The third question is, how can we stop coveting? Even once we come to know Christ and we are a Christian, even we become a strong Christian, even like the Apostle Paul, we're still going to battle this, this thing called coveting. So how can we get past it? How can we have the victory? Well, I'll give you three steps here. Number one, you replace greedy desires with godly desires. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, to covet, uses that same word, to covet the best gifts. And so there's nothing wrong with having a strong desire. We just need to have a strong desire for the right things for God's things that he's given us. And so what we do, having come to commandment number 10, and if that's an area where we really struggle, then what we need to do is just back right up to commandment number 1 and go right back up to commandment number 1 and make sure that our passion and our desire is directed towards having no other gods before him. We put God first. And we say, God, you're my one desire. You're my greatest desire. Lord, I want you and your will and your truth and your purpose and your way in my life. I want to go after you. And when you replace greedy desires with godly desires, then God says, okay, that's what I want to hear. Let's go. And he begins to empower you and help you. And he helps you to mature and grow and to, to die to your Desires. That's step number two. Next, we die to ourselves and surrender our desires to God. There's a great verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. It talks about the cross of Christ, and it actually presents to us a triple crucifixion that gives us power to live beyond this sin. Here Paul says in verse 14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the first cross. By whom the world has been crucified to me. There's the second. And I to the world. So in Christ's cross there is a crucifixion of all sin. The Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
So all sin was laid upon Christ at the cross. He paid for it. Now until you trust him, that payment's not laid to your account. But Christ did die for the sins of the world. And so having died for the sins of the world, there is a power there, there is a deliverance there from all of our sin. And once you come to Christ, then that power is given to you. The penalty of your sin is taken away. You're given power over that sin, and eventually you'll be released from the presence of sin, but not yet. Until then, you have these other crosses that flow out of the cross of Christ. The next cross is you being crucified. You see that? He says, and I to the world. This is the crucifixion of self. And every single day, we've got to get up and we've got to take up our cross, set up a cross, as it were, and die to ourself. Put ourselves on that cross. And say, Lord, my life is yours. Lord, you are in control of me. And through your cross, and only through your cross, I have power over sin. And today, I want to have that power. I want to live for you and not for me. Crucify my flesh. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And when you do that, you die. The old you dies. And the new you is what lives. And this is what Paul's talking about. It, it is the, another cross that comes out of Christ's cross. It is the crucifixion of self. And then the third one is the crucifixion of stumbling blocks. He also talks about the world being crucified to me. How's the world going to get up there on the cross? Well, you put it there. When you pray and you seek God's power, you say, God, all the temptation, all the stumbling blocks that's come in my way, all that Satan's going to throw to me, I'm asking you to deliver me from that. As the Lord taught us to pray, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil, the evil one. And when you pray that the world will be crucified to you, you're actually praying that, that it would not be something that you desire. That it'd be not something that pulls you aside. But you're saying, Lord, I renounce that. I renounce all that's in the world. And I'm asking you, through the power of your cross, to give me the victory over it. There was no preacher who went to New York City and took in all the sights there. And as he took in all the sights, at the end of the day, he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, I thank you first that uh, you allowed me to see all this. But most of all, I pray that I didn't desire anything that I saw. He had died to himself. The world had been crucified to him and himself to the world. That's what God wants to do in your life. That's how you can get past coveting. That's how you can live on less, settle for less, if that's God's will for your life. God will give you the power. And then the final step is that you practice contentment. Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul talks about the, commit, the contentment that, that he arrived at. And he said there that he had learned 
He had learned to, to be both hungry and to be full, to abound and to suffer need. He said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. And here's how he did it. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you have a problem with coveting, then Christ is the one who can give you the victory day by day as you yield to him and you embrace contentment. What does it take to be content? Paul said in 2 Timothy, he said, Having food and clothing, therewith we shall be content. Now that's, that's bringing it down to the minimum, isn't it? Food and clothing. He didn't talk about a house. He didn't talk about a car. He didn't talk about money in the bank. He said, if we have food and clothing and we have Christ, he says, we can be content. Christ had just those things at times in his life. He was always content. And he'll give us that same contentment as he's promised to always be with us, to never leave us. And so we embrace his will. And we say, Lord, whatever you've given me, I'm going to be satisfied with that. I'm going to appreciate that. And I'm going to use it for your honor and your glory. In 79 AD, something catastrophic happened around the city called Pompeii. You probably remember hearing about this in school or reading in history books. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this message will encourage you in your walk with Christ as we dive into God's Word each and every week. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you in the week to come.